You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. What's up? Good morning. It is Friday, June 12th, and you're listening to the College Football Daily. My name is Trey Scott, joined today by Brandon Marcello, 24-7 Sports National College Football Writer. And we've made it. We are in the final day of our projected orders of finish and we have saved the toughest one and probably the most controversial one and the one that will get the most feedback of course and that's the sec brandon how's it going i hope you're ready to dive into this yeah man let's do it so it's i mean yeah when i'm looking i look at yours and i see the east and i kind of want to kind of want to unwrap that one but i feel like everyone always starts with the west so we're going to start with the west and we're going to keep everyone eager to see what's going on in the east when we get there first but but yeah let's start with the west where you've got a lot of a lot of transition two is gone joe burrow's gone but but nix is coming back and and you know kellen mon's coming back so how do you see this division shaking out yeah um i think number one to me is lsu's gonna drop um I don't see – everybody kind of assumes that LSU and Alabama are the two teams in the SEC West best built to have a huge loss of of players to the draft and then they're able to build up. Alabama can. LSU's not quite there yet uh, under Ed Orgeron. I don't care what anybody says. There's going to be a drop-off this year. It's just going to happen. So, number one in the West, I've got Alabama, like pretty much everybody. That offense – even without Tua, is going to be amazing. I think Mac Jones will end up being the starting quarterback. Uh, I watched him several times last season, uh, once in person. Very impressive other than those pick six uh, throws against Auburn in the Iron Bowl. But um, Najee Harris is going to be the best running back in the SEC, if not the country. And then the receivers are absolutely dynamic. Devontae Smith and then Jalen Waddell, to me, is going to be like the next big thing um, as far as being an explosive playmaker that people are talking about near the end of the season. He can be one in every down receiver, but also a gadget guy that can take handoffs out of the backfield on motions. The guy is electric. He is super fast. He is going to put up a lot of numbers this upcoming season. Uh, The defense, um, the thing with the defense last year, they just dealt with too many injuries. Uh, guys were out for most of the season. Linebacker was especially a killer for them because of the injuries. Um, but to me, Alabama is going to be better defensively, and I say it because of this. I don't know if anybody realizes this, but last season's defense was the worst defense of the 2010s at Alabama. It was the worst. 13th nationally in scoring defense, which is good (laughs) but it was the worst mark they've had they're usually in the top 10 if not the top five or top three as they've been accustomed to they're going to be a lot better this season that's going to be a top five defense this year the secondary is going to need to fill some holes they're going to be pretty young but defensively especially that on on that defensive front man they're going to be stacked they're going to be good 
And a lot of those players coming back from injuries are going to be hungry. And uh, I, I think Alabama is, is dangerous, not just the SEC, obviously, but I, I think they're going to just smack people around this year. Sounds like a really scary combination of all of Nick Saban's best teams. You've got a top five defensive unit. You've got a running back room that is, once again, very deep. You've got a stellar offensive line, and you've got, again, all those receivers. And you're going to get good quarterback play, whether it's Mac Jones or Bryce Young, who was number one player in the top 247 rankings for the class of 2020. You've got Auburn right behind them. And I think this is interesting because we are devoting a lot of SEC West airtime to either Alabama or how far does LSU drop or does Texas A&M finally make the leap that I feel, I, I do feel like a lot of people are sleeping on the Tigers. Yeah, but here's the thing. I think there's a wide gap between Alabama and the number two spot in the SEC West, whoever finishes number two there. I've got Auburn at number two, but I, I don't think Alabama is going to be worrying or sweating things come Iron Bowl time uh, this year. I, I think Auburn, with its schedule, with having to go to Georgia and having to go to Alabama to end the season, I don't see them winning either of those games. And those two losses alone will probably put them to two games back of Alabama because I think Alabama is going to win every single SEC game on their schedule. So there's going to be a wide gap between one and two, I believe, in the SEC West. But as for Auburn, their defense is a little concerning to me. Obviously, they lose a first-round pick in Derek Brown, defensive tackle. Marlon Davidson, their great defensive end, very underrated, is gone. Um, their secondary will be okay. Um, linebackers will be the strength. They've got some really good guys back there. They're coached up very well by assistant coach Travis Williams. The offense, though, I think will be better, but it, it could be a disaster if they do not find offensive linemen to come together in jail. They lose four of their five starters from last season, and as much flack as that offensive line got last year, especially with run blocking, they were among the top offensive lines in the country when it came to pass protection, and that helped Bo Nix out completely as a true freshman at quarterback because it gave him more time to think on his feet um, as he adjusted to life in the SEC. Bo Nix is going to have to make a big, big leap uh, to really get this team going and challenging the SEC West again. Um, I think he will make a big leap this year, mostly because he's got some tremendous receivers around him, starting with Anthony Schwartz and then a gadget guy like Sean Shivers who could be a little bit of a running back. But what's also going to help him is I think the running back spot's going to be better even though they don't have starter return, uh, returning starter who would have been a returning starter, Booby Whitlow. Uh, he left the team and is transferring. But they've got Tank Bigsby, who's a big-time talent coming in. Mark Anthony Richards, who redshirted last year, that has been getting a lot of comparisons to carry on Johnson, uh, the last really great running back that Auburn had that got them to an SEC West Championship in 2017. So I think that offense will be better. But if that offensive line struggles, because there's going to have to be four new starters and there's not a ton of depth there, the recruiting has been pretty abysmal, along the offensive line the last three or four years. Um, Auburn could could certainly drop out of the two spot and go to three or four uh, in the SEC West standings. But having said that, um, I, I think that 
Bo Nix is going to make a big leap forward this year with those receivers, and they're going to be better at running back. And it's going to kind of counterbalance any issues if they have any with that offensive line. Bo Nix feels really polarizing to me. I think, you know, he was up and down last year, but I think a lot of that is being a true freshman and maybe we're being a little hard on him nationally. It's, I remember he got, you know, the the first game against Oregon, as you know, he threw the game winner but he was 13 for 31. So it's like, like you get those good things and you sort of get some inefficiencies, right? You get this, this six interceptions and to just 16 touchdowns. So you sort of live with that. And I, I would be surprised that this year if he's not over 60% completion and kind of evens out that touchdown interception ratio. All right, tell us about three and four because between these two teams, I really would have a tough time choosing a favorite here because LSU's, well, they're the, the defending national champion and A&M really has never won anything, but A&M's got a lot of people coming back and LSU doesn't. Yeah, that's the thing. And LSU, I, I, I just don't understand this idea that LSU is going to continue challenging immediately in the SEC West after losing 14 players to the draft. Joe Burrow was a once-in-a-generation quarterback at LSU. We're talking about a place that obviously has been well chronicled under the Les Miles era and even in the early year of early years of of Ed Orgeron of just not taking advantage of their talent at receiver. Well, they did that and much more last year with Joe Burrow at quarterback. But not just that, they had Joe Brady kind of tweaking the passing game for them and and their schemes as a co-offensive coordinator. He's gone as well. Running back, they got to figure out what's going on there. I think they'll be okay, um, but you just can't lose that many players unless you are just completely stacked with guys and have developed players that are immediately able to come in and start and be tremendously effective. I don't think LSU's quite there yet, so I've got them third, and that, and that, and I have them above A and M, which is more has more experience at four. But LSU, just too much turnover, not just on the player's side, on the roster, but also on the coaching side. I think losing Joe Brady is huge. Not as as big as losing the other Joe and Joe Burrow, but those two coming together and doing what they did was incredible. Miles Brennan is going to be a good quarterback. He is a good quarterback. He's not Joe Burrow. He's not Tua. He's going to be one of the top maybe three quarterbacks, maybe four in the SEC. But LSU loses way too much. The schedule's tough. I got him third in the SEC West. You talk about top quarterbacks and Miles Brennan. He could be there. Kellen Mond could be there. He's been around forever now. This is his 26th station. year. <laughs> Absolutely. And if he's always going to get compared to Johnny Manziel, and, and that's just comes to the territory now of being yeah. an A&M quarterback in the in the 2000s. But he's not he's not that guy. But he he's pretty steady and, and he's. He said now for over a year he's the best quarterback in the SEC, and they return, I think, like 19 starters. You've got them fourth. It feels like it's there's no better time than now for Jimbo Fisher to start winning big, but this is just such a tough division that you've got this great team on paper, and they're still fourth in the West. That's a key note here. They're on paper. They don't come through in the big moments. They just don't. Um I've seen A&M struggle in games in which they should have at least kept close, if not win. 
especially when I was covering Auburn, Auburn would just go walk into their stadium and, and beat the heck out of them every year, including these past two under Jimbo Fisher. Um, but it concerns me that they just can't come through in those big games on a consistent basis. Kellen Mond has been inconsistent um, in my eyes whenever I watch him, especially with the deep ball. They did not complete enough big, deep throws last season. I think I saw a stat where they had maybe, I think it was like six or between six and 10 uh, passes of 30 yards or more last season completed. So for all this talk about Kellen Mond potentially being a first-round guy and maybe in the top five, I've seen people predicting that. I don't see it. I just don't see it when it comes to being in gamer mode, so to speak. Um, the offensive line, they allowed way too many sacks last season. Is that because of the offensive line, or is that because of Mond holding on to the ball too long? I think he holds on to the ball too long sometimes. Um, but on the other side of the ball, the real story for A&M since Jimbo Fisher's been there is that the defense improves every year, not the offense. Mr. Quarterback Whisperer Jimbo Fisher, who is a fantastic coach, it's not necessarily coming together on offense, but it's really coming together on defense. That defensive front's going to be really, really good this season. Buddy Johnson's a great linebacker. Um, I think that defense, more than anything, is what's going to have them in contention for some games. But when it comes down to some of these big games, these big moments, I know everybody will point to like Clemson a couple of years ago in that game and it coming down close, LSU overtime games and all that stuff. But there's other games that I've watched with them where there's big moments that just don't seem to kind of come together and get get it going, and then they end up losing by, you know, 14 points when it should have been a game that was coming down to the wire. And that includes some games, I, as I said, as I covered up close uh, when I was covering Auburn. So I got A&M fourth. I think Kellamon's a good quarterback. He's not elite. I just don't think he's an elite quarterback in the SEC. What separates the Mississippi schools from each other here as we get to well, five and six? I don't – yeah, I don't know if you noticed this, but I listed one school as Lane Kiffin. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because of the Lane Kiffin effect. Um, and I hope our uh, 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 video guys don't actually just put Lane Kiffin in there. I, that was more of a, it was more of a, just more of a joke because the Lane Kiffin effect with the quarterback position and they are stacked at receiver, they're, they're going to upset someone this year in the SEC. They're going to knock someone off. It might be an LSU. I don't know if it'll be an Alabama. But they're going to knock someone off ahead of them, and they're going to be able to kind of get out of that basement area of like finishing seventh or sixth, be able to finish fifth, uh, at least in my projections. Uh, John Reese Plumley, the quarterback, um, I know there's talk about maybe Matt Mackerel will, be, will end up being the guy. John Reese Plumley to me, is the guy you need to hang your hat on and build an offense around. He is incredibly dangerous on his feet through the air. And with Lane Kiffin and those receivers they've got coming back, uh, man, they could be really fun to watch this season. I got Ole Miss at fifth in the West, and that's going to be a, not only a fun team to watch, but they might knock someone off that they shouldn't. And it's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be a lot of fun. Any chance that – Mike Leach and, and KJ Costello get things going early enough to to knock somebody off themselves, or do you see this one taking a little bit more time? It's going to take more time. The air raid coming into Starkville, um, I, I just don't see that meshing immediately there. I don't think they quite have the receivers that they need right now. Um, 
it's going to be a lot like um, Washington State when he started off there, where it was just kind of a struggle for a couple of years until he got the type of players he needed. But not only that, but installing that system, getting the reps, getting that consistency, that timing, and they weren't able to do that at all in the spring. And, of course, here in the summers, they get back to voluntary workouts because of this coronavirus situation. So this is a much different situation than say Lane Kiffin's in at Ole Miss where he's not installing some drastic change with the offense after Rich Rodriguez was there coordinating the offense. Mississippi State, Joe Moorhead, of course the offense was creative in the things they did, but it wasn't the air raid. They're not going to be throwing the ball 30 to 40 times at least in games. And KJ Costello, the answer they need right now at quarterback but like I said, they just haven't had time to come together, and that thing's going to take time and patience, and they had none of that this spring. Mike Leach was in uh, Key West hanging out and isolating from this coronavirus, and I'm not so sure State is going to be any better for it, and they're not going to see immediate success under Mike Leach. Just real quick on Arkansas, you've got seventh. You would you would hope that Sam Pittman helps them at maybe double last year's win total, but you mentioned the coronavirus, and it's interesting. We've got the three new coaches in the West, and all three of those teams are, are you know, five, six, and seven here. Our expectations pretty low uh, at Arkansas for a little bit now. I, yeah, yeah, yes, and I think even the fan base. You know, I live in the area now, yeah, and I've got family members who are Arkansas fans, and they're kind of just like, yeah, we'll, we'll wait and see. We'll see what happens these next few years. They're just hoping to get back to not losing against non-conference opponents right now. Um, Felipe Franks will be fun to watch. But again, I mean, even Sam, Sam Pittman told me this on the phone uh, about a month ago. Um, the issue is he hasn't really been able to develop relationships as well as he wants with his players. And the same goes for his coordinators and assistant coaches. And when you are in a situation like Arkansas, where you've had so much staff turnover, not just at the head coach position, but also along with the, the assistant coaches, you know, from Bielema to the short-lived Chad Morris era to now Sam Pittman, that takes a toll on players. And um, I'm interested to see how they react when they actually get out there on the field. I, I just don't – they don't have the talent, number one. And number two, it, it's going to hurt them uh, that they haven't been able to spend as much time with this new coaching staff. So I think, I think they'll easily uh, finish dead last in the SEC West this year. The College Football Daily will be right back. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I tease a lot of drama in the East. So what I want you to do is throw your top two teams into a pot and just kind of stir it up and walk through both of these teams and, and come out with who you've got winning in Jacksonville. And, and of course, the in, in no particular order as I let you sort of do this yourself. It's you know, it's, it's Dan Mullen's team and Kirby Smart's team and, and who do you have coming out and why uh, of the East? 
Well, I mean, listen, you know, Georgia has just been tremendous in recruiting. They've had top three classes each of the last, I think, four or five years in the 24-7 sports composite. That's why they are always on the in the talk for making the playoff and being the number one challenger to Alabama in the SEC. Um, they've been tremendous. They lose a quarterback there. Jamie Newman comes in from Wake Forest, um, put up some big numbers last year at, at Wake Forest. Um, but I have some issues with him. Um, not necessarily personally. It sounds like I have an issue with him. I'll be, I'll catch you outside. Come catch these hands. No, uh, Jamie, Jamie Newman against winning teams, his numbers were drastically lower, um, than against everybody else. He completed about 53% of his passes and had almost as many interceptions as he did touchdowns against teams with winning records. I'm not even talking about teams that went to uh, or that were ranked. Um, that concerns me. But he's got George Pickens. That guy is a superstar and is going to be a superstar this year. They got to figure out what they're going to do at running back this year. I think there's more questions about Georgia, especially offensively, than a lot of maybe Georgia fans and others want to admit. That's not saying they're not going to be a top five team or even or top ten team, I should say. But do they have that edge? Because making that jump from being a 10-win team to being a 12-win team again or whatever is huge. And this team, to me, looks more like a 10-win team, which is about where Florida's been you know, the last couple of years, obviously, with the double-digit wins in back-to-back years under Dan Mullen. Um, the question is, can Florida jump and overtake Georgia by getting beyond that 10-win mark? Because I think you could safely say Georgia's like a 10-win team. Florida, though, is can you maintain that 10-win season and maybe go above it? I mean, listen, Florida has not had back-to-back-to-back 10-win seasons since 1998 uh, when Steve Spurrier was there, right when that big run was ending for him, and then things started falling, falling off. That is a long time. That is a long time. And I think the job Dan Mullen has done there has been incredible. He's got to get better on the recruiting trail. I don't think anybody will argue that. That hasn't necessarily been Dan Mullen's strength, even going back to Mississippi State when he had them up to number one in the nation for several weeks back in 2014. But he's a fantastic developer of talent, particularly on offense, and he always seems to have the right guy at defensive coordinator, even with a lot of turnover that he had at Mississippi State. Um, But with Florida, what gives me some hope about them of being able to repeat a 10-win season double digits is they've got Kyle Trask back at quarterback. Uh, Kyle Pitts is a fantastic tight end. It's really something that's really going to be able to help them build around. Um, I think they might actually be better at running back, even with P. Ryan gone. I think Damian Pierce could be a better guy, a better overall runner. I think I think P. Ryan just maybe Florida fans will hate me for this, but I don't think he necessarily had the quickness that um, a lot of people expect. The scoring defense was fantastic last year under Todd Grantham, number seven in the nation. Um, I think it drops off a little bit, but I think it'll still be in the top ten or top fifteen. They got a lot of returning pieces on defense, um, but to me, when it comes down to Florida and Georgia. It's going to come down to quarterback. And I've got more faith in Kyle Trask than I do Jamie Newman right now. 
Trask has played in the big games. He's beaten teams in top 10 showdowns. When they meet in Jacksonville, Florida is going to beat Georgia. And Florida is going to be number one in the SEC East and go to the SEC championship game. And they're going to win 11 games this year. And they're going to make it to the championship game and challenge Alabama and see if they can potentially sneak into maybe the college football playoff with a victory. And Dan Mullen will be the first coach since Steve Spurrier to have back-to-back to back 10-win seasons. But I think they take a small step forward this year, and they win 11 games in a regular season, or, and they knock off Georgia and get to the SEC championship game. Does that hold going into 2021 and 2022? I'm not so sure because of the recruiting aspect, as I mentioned. But this year, I like Kyle Trask over Jamie Newman because of those stats I brought up. Yeah, I like everything you said. I think I'm also on the, the Florida beats Georgia train this year. And to, to double down on what you said, I think Georgia probably gets it back the next few years. And that's just recruiting that all coming yep. out of the wash. But yeah, I'm, I'm a Kyle Trask guy. Uh, he's, a, he's a steady, steady presence. He, he sees the game really slowly in a, in a great way. And, and I think he's just, the game slows down for him. I think this is yep. their year. So you got Florida coming out of the East. Um, the middle is interesting, Brandon. I'll yes. let you just touch on, you know, you've got Tennessee, Kentucky, and then South Carolina as sort of your, your middle teams. And this would be a really high spot for Tennessee to finish. Their fans are, they're hoping right. that eventually they're going to be at the top, but this is a good step forward. And then for Kentucky, this is, this is where Mark Stoops lives and South Carolina though. <laughs> I think, I feel like five would be a, I don't know if it gets Will Muschamp canned. You will have to see what he does in the non-con, but that's not a lovely spot for them. No, and I know I mentioned on this podcast I I got South Carolina low here, but I I I think you know you look at Clemson's schedule in the ACC, their schedule is just not tough. We talked about that, but I think at the end of the year South Carolina could maybe upset them. I know that sounds crazy, but things could be coming together at that point to where they're at least competent. And then they may be upset Clemson that late in the season. But anyway, I got Tennessee <laughs> third. Um, strong offensive line, but they got to be more consistent driving the ball. I mean, quarterback Jarek Garantano is not going to be a guy that blows you away. He's kind of a game manager type in a way. Jawan Jennings is gone at receiver. Um, in fact, their two best receivers, I think, are gone. And that's going to hurt his production a little bit. But you can't discount that they won, what, six straight games in the season last year. Um, that builds confidence. I don't care what level of competition those got, those teams were. None of them were ranked. They were against lower-tier teams, even the, the winning ones, including Indiana in the bowl game when Tennessee had a fight to come back. But they got it done. And I thought that win at Kentucky last season was impressive. They came back, I think, from what was like 13-3 to and ended up winning that game on the road at Kentucky. And Jarrett did what he had to do had to do at quarterback and led them back to a victory. I still think Tennessee's about a year away or maybe two years away from us going, oh, that's a nine-win team. I think they're looking more like a seven- or eight-win team this year, but that's pretty good considering. But um, they got to be more consistent driving the ball. They've got to finish drives. They had that issue offensively last season, and I think part of that is because of the quarterback situation. I don't think they have a 
they have an above average quarterback, but they need a great quarterback. And then beyond great is elite, obviously. So they're two steps below a championship level, so to speak, at the quarterback position. But like I said, that offensive line's strong. Kentucky shocked us all last year with a converted running back receiver, Lynn Bowden, starring at quarterback. Now they bring back Terry Wilson, maybe get a little bit more balance on that side of the ball, but hopefully don't totally neglect, and they won't with Terry Wilson, the ability to just ruin defenses uh, with a running quarterback. So four, Mark Soups has done such a good job, and it's, I mean, you can just like, I feel like for Brandon of all of all of our division projections here all week, like I feel like Kentucky at four in the SEC East, I can just put that in ink. Yeah. Um, and listen, Kentucky is a team that could be borderline top 25 by the end of the year. Um, but like you said, I mean, the the job they did with Lynn Bowden last year when he came in, it was phenomenal. And of course, just all the accolades he got and deservedly. So I, I do wonder like Terry Wilson coming back from the knee injury, how that works out. Um, I think it would have been a lot of fun to see a quarterback competition between Wilson and Joey Gatewood, the former Auburn quarterback. If he gets a waiver, um, I don't think there's any official word on that, but I, I doubt he would get that waiver. If they were able to compete against each other, that would be interesting. Gatewood kind of, you know, he fits that mold of being like a Felipe Franks or even a Kyle Trask, you know, maybe being a bigger quarterback who can obviously run a little bit. Things didn't work out for him at Auburn. He got kind of, I guess, he let on a little bit about what his role would be, and it didn't quite work out. And I think at Kentucky, he could certainly excel. Um, but we'll see if it's this year, 2021, when he gets a transfer away or has to sit out a year as a transfer. Um, the offensive line with Landon Young at left tackle is good. Um, and I think the defense is good as well. I mean, what's incredible is that they're going for their fifth straight bowl game this year. Wow. I, I, I just don't think, like you said, Mark Stoops, the job he's done there, it's just not getting talked about enough. And I just keep wondering, and Kentucky fans aren't going to like hearing this. I just keep wondering, like, when is like someone going to come and sweep up Mark Stoops for a huge job? Yeah, like Michigan. Yeah, because he would be perfect there with the way he, he the way he recruits Ohio mm-hmm. right now at Kentucky. My goodness, it'd be no a perfect kidding. fit. Speaking of job transitions, if South Carolina goes four and eight again, he gone. Think yeah, yeah. Even in the coronavirus era, right? So like four and eight, they can't do that again. And I know it cuts both ways, and there were some losses that could have been wins. But if South Carolina doesn't beat Georgia last year, that's a yeah, three and nine football team. They're they're really abysmal. And what they, I mean, they did not get better as the season went along either. Obviously, they dealt with injury. Um, you know, I, I d- we'll see. You got Mike Bobo at OC. Uh, yeah. Georgia fans will love that. Um, <laughs> but. Will Muschamp's just uh, – he's not an SEC head coach, even though he's been a head coach in the SEC at two different spots in the SEC East. He's not a guy who's going to be able to consistently build a program that wins. He's a guy that comes in and you go, hey, the secondary's good. Yes, that's what happens everywhere he goes, including when he's a defensive coordinator. The secondary is good. Mm-hmm. Um, Got a good pass rusher, you know, that – yeah. 
Right. Like, the I defense is good. The defense is good. It'll be fine again this year. They might be good as a pass rushing team this year, but they've got really good corners. Um, and then the other thing on offense is they're probably going to have to turn things over to true freshman Marshawn Lloyd at running back. You know, an incredible talent, as we know, a five-star guy, but he's a true freshman nonetheless. Of course, that's easier to do at running back than, say, you know, quarterback, obviously. And, you know, but they're going to be very young (laughs) in the backfield with Ryan Alinsky and Marshawn Lloyd. Um, This just looks like a team that's not going to blow the doors off anyone. The offense was terrible last year. Mike Bobo doesn't necessarily – amp me up at all about improving things immediately at Carolina. I do think they'll get better as the season goes along. If, if Will Muschamp can keep that team together, say if they lose some of those games early, especially in the middle of the year. But um, I, I don't see Carolina being a team that's in the upper half of the SEC East this year. You've got Mizzou and Vanderbilt at six and seven, and they're separated by, you know, just one spot. It, it does feel like there's a totally different vibe around each program though. Missouri, New coach Eli Drinkwitz has got maybe a new era of fun offensive innovation coming in Vanderbilt. They've got what they've got in Derek Mason. We know what we know what they're going to do. You know, every third or fourth year they might make a bowl, but for the most part, that's just it's just life as a Vanderbilt football coach. So I don't know if you have anything on on six or on team six or seven, or maybe maybe one day Mizzou gets uh, gets back into the top. Four or three. I don't know, but maybe, I, I don't maybe. Think Vanderbilt will. I here's the thing. I think Mizzou's defense is going to be atrocious this year. Um that's going to really hurt them. And now they have to go, obviously, they got to figure out what to do a quarterback too. Is it Taylor Powell? He's a guy that completes forty seven percent of his passes. Um, or uh I've, Sean Robinson, the the T maybe the TCU transfer. Yeah, maybe the TCU transfer. Um but or you know Eli Drinkowitz and Curtis Looper kind of building that offense back up. They've got five starters back, I believe, on offense. They'll score some points. They'll get things going. But still, again, it's like not being able to work with players as much as they wanted to because of the coronavirus here in the spring and then going to the summer. And that defense is is going to be bad. They're going to give up a lot of points, and I, I don't know if Mizzou's going to be able to win a lot of shootouts. And then with Vanderbilt, I mean, they had they, their offense was terrible. They had to go hire a new OC, uh, Todd Fitch from I think Louisiana Tech. Um, and then here's the other thing: guess who their quarterbacks might be? Might be a true freshman hmm. because they had three quarterbacks leave in the off season, and the defense is not going to be very good. I, I think uh, Derek Mason's time in Nashville is probably nearing an end. It's a shame. It's a good city. Um, that's. That's quite the SEC preview we've got in there. Uh, Florida versus Bama. We've got Bama, but you never know. You never know. I like this a lot. I'm, I'm eager to see what all the listeners think, and you guys can give us a five-star review and leave a comment and, and tell us where Brandon went right or where he went wrong, not with the SEC, but with every other projected order of finish for each conference. It's been quite the week. I've I've truly learned a lot, and it's – it's just made me all the more eager to have a football season and, and to kind of just get through this summer and, and, and get ready for them to put pads on because like you started talking about the iron bowl or the other day you were talking about Oregon versus Arizona state. And I was just starting to get, get a little itch. 
Yeah. And you start thinking of games last season that like popped out of, you know, there's always games that pop out of nowhere, but I, you know, I love those moments. Like as a writer, just as a sports writer, obviously I'm not a fan being able to watch games all day, but I love that feeling of covering a game and like coming back to the hotel room or back home and turn the TV on, not knowing what really happened during the day and flipping on a game and seeing, you know, Washington state building a huge lead and all of a sudden UCLA is coming back or something. Um, those moments, like there's nothing like living something real time when you're in the stands with everybody or what's more likely now, but still is happening doing it and watching it all together while we're on Twitter, you know, talking about what's happening in real time and sharing that experience as a community. And that's what I miss the most. And I, gosh, I can't wait till we're back, back in it and doing that. Well said, well said, Brandon Marcello. All right, that's going to do it for today's episode of the College Football Daily. Again, hit us up on Apple Podcasts. Tell us what's right, what's wrong. For our producer, Tony Levitt, for Brandon Marcello, I'm Trey Scott. We will talk to everybody on Monday. Should you ever set foot outside of the motel, you will be shot. Don't miss the new Showtime limited series based on the international bestseller. For the last four years, I've been a prisoner. Why are they keeping you here? Starring Emmy Award winner Ewan McGregor. This is the brave new world that you dreamt of. Be very careful. You are still a prisoner here. Everything in this new world comes at cost. This is still my country. A Gentleman in Moscow. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. Only with the Paramount Plus with Showtime plan.